Why don't you take your Bibles out? And as we're receiving an offering, you take your Bible out. And why don't you turn to 2 Corinthians, if you will, please. I'm going to be reading momentarily out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 17 here in just a moment. We're going to start a new series that I've entitled Identity Theft. Identity Theft. And this series was birthed from really our whole life conference as I began to listen to our guest, uh, Denise Recker, share, and I've heard some of these precepts before, I began to uh, just tap into some biblical concepts of the precepts she was sharing. And one of them that I began to realize as she was sharing that we needed to get into our system was this area of identity. Identity. Now, for some of you, I suspect that today's message might be somewhat of a review. And that's okay. How many of you know we have to be re reviewing all the time? Every time you read the Bible, you should be reviewing something for some of you because you've read it through numbers of times. So we're reviewing. But do you also realize that every time you review the Scripture, you hear something new? So what may feel like review for some of you, uh, I would encourage you not to check out on me too quickly. There are others of you that I know for a fact that you need to hear what I'm about ready to share because if you could nail down these issues of identity your whole life would change immediately. Identity. Because the enemy has stolen or has attempted to steal your identity. We live, do we not, in this wonderful age of technology. Who amongst us would have ever thought that there would be a day that everybody would have to carry a phone? I mean, it's just really rare not to find everyone carrying a phone. I remember when I was a teenager... I had just learned to drive, and there were no cell phones back in the dark ages. That's when I grew up. I was back in the dark. No phone. In fact, I remember one night I was on a lonely stretch of road, and I got a flat tire. And because I was a teenager, I, I, I did not make sure that my uh, spare was inflated. So when I got my spare out, it was flat too. And so I was hung on an old country road uh, with a flat tire and what do you do? Because I didn't have one of these. Did, couldn't even conceive of this. So I had to take a walk, and I finally got down. I found a fire station. And I was able to call my dad to come get me on this country road because of the phone at the fire station. But we don't have that problem anymore, do we? We live in this wonderful age of technology. And we're talking even uh, before service because we've been having just a couple difficulties with a projector overhead, and so we're working through what we need to do. And so I'm talking to Jason in the back about the projector. And in, in a matter of really minutes, we've ordered a projector. We made sure of the dates. We got everything taken care of. It's all matching. And we did all of that because of this. Is that not remarkable when you really stop and think about it? Technology is amazing. Shopping online is amazing. Do you understand Amazon is going to put everybody out of business? Because you can just order it. And then if you don't like it, you can send it back. I mean, the convenience of it all. Shopping grocery weather i mean we use this weather you don't even have to watch television anymore maps google the lady on google's telling us where to go all of the time banking that's amazing the banking you can do everything now all these good things coming through technology that we all know about how many of you also realize that because of this technology 
We have people who spend their days trying to figure out how to access your technology so they can steal from you. They want your bank numbers. They want your credit card numbers. They want everything they can know about you, your social security number. Why? It's because they want to pretend they're you so that they can access what you've created by way of life in order to steal from you. It's called identity theft. And uh, I don't know, there may be numbers of uh, companies out there that help protect people from identity theft. I know LifeLock. I hear LifeLock all the time. And uh, LifeLock is one of those companies that if you get your identity stolen, that there's some form of insurance or help that can keep your identity uh, secure. It's interesting. I'm just telling these stories just to kind of get you into this whole series. But we recently moved to uh, Berkeley County. And uh, we got everything settled, closed on our house. And uh, I had forgotten that at, at a, a, a house closing, everyone has to do this. Every time you get a new home that you purchase, you have to file again for a special exemption so you only pay a certain percentage uh, on your home with regards to taxes. So, you know, if, you, if you're owning a home and you're going to rent it, you're going to pay, what, 6, 6%? But if you own your home, uh, you only pay 4%. And I mean, we're talking that's a lot of money between four and six percent on the amount that a house is worth. And so I'm wanting to get all of my stuff together in order to make sure I get that four percent, you know, a break because it's your own personal home. Well, I don't know if any of you have done this lately, but let me just tell you, they want so much information from you. They wanted my drive. They wanted both our driver's licenses. They wanted both our voting registration cards signifying the place where we now live. They wanted social security cards. They wanted tax forms with addresses that are, that are on there. They wanted at least two utility bills. I'm not sure I'm remembering everything they wanted, but I had, I had a stack of papers about like that in order to go to Berkeley County and give that to them in order that I could get the 4% uh, discount, I guess, on, uh, on taxes that are taking place. Now, I tell you that story... It's because there's so much identity theft that's going on that they're going to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are who you say you are. We're not going to get, you know, somehow taken by this. So the county wants everything you've got in order to prove you are who you say you are because they're not going to be scammed. People want to steal your identity. Thieves want to use your financial status, your prosperity, your credit uh, ratings. They want to bleed your accounts. They want to run up your debt. They want, the thieves out there want to use what is rightfully yours and then leave you destroyed. Now, I can think of no better analogy to give you than what the enemy of our soul, the devil himself, has done to God's people. He has stolen our identities or he's attempting to steal or to cover up our identities in order that he can take from resources that are rightfully yours in order to steal from you promises that are rightfully yours in order to somehow bleed you dry in order that you might eventually be circumvented from your destiny or in his greatest hopes, as convoluted as the devil is, in his greatest hopes that you might ultimately be destroyed. What is it that Jesus said? Everybody ought to have this verse 
in John 10, 10 memorized. The thief cometh not, but to what? Steal, to kill, and to destroy. Let's quote that one more time. The thief cometh not, but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they might have what? Abundantly, abundantly, even more abundantly. So we need to understand right now that the enemy wants to steal identities and we need to make sure these identities are secure. Now, what does a stolen identity look like? What does a stolen identity look like? Let me give you the short answer to this question about stolen identity. It basically means that you're living beneath God's express will for your life. That's a stolen identity. You're living beneath God's express will for your life. Now, let me give you some examples. What would be living below God's express will for your life? I'll give you examples such as poverty. God's not involved in lack. Now, hear me. I'm not saying that there aren't, there aren't lean times. The Bible teaches there can be lean times. But God's will isn't for you to live forever in lean times. Do you believe that? He wants you to prosper. He wants you to be elevated. That's God's will. I mean, if, 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 God, if God really wanted everybody in his kingdom to be impoverished, I mean, I mean, you think of 97% of the earth is impoverished, you'd think we'd have a global move of God. But impoverishment is not the will of God. The will of God is that his people, his people be blessed in order that the world might see and know who we're related to. Sickness is not God's express will. Do people get sick? Yeah, I've had, in fact, I've even had nasal issues, sinus issues this week. So I get it, people get sick. But God's will isn't that we languish in sickness and disease. The Bible clearly teaches that the cross, the atonement, was meant to address sicknesses in people's lives. Jesus came healing those afflicted of the enemy. God's will is that you be free from fear, from bondages, from strongholds, from oppressions, from anxiety. Listen, we're going to start declaring what God's will is. God, God hasn't willed you to be sad. He has willed you to be joyful. So if you're living below the joy quotient, then the enemy has stolen something of your identity discouragement, frustration, whether you realize it or not, there are so many things in your life that are being determined by whether or not your identity is secure. Now, if we can nail down and secure identity, then I believe we have a better shot at living and walking the promises of abundancy. I mean, who here is for abundancy? I'm for abundancy. If given the choice, listen, if I'm given the choice between being impoverished or being prosperous, I'll just tell you right now, I choose prosperity. Now, if you want to choose poverty, that's your business, but I'm choosing prosperity. If I have the choice between choosing sickness and disease or health and longevity, I tell you what I'm choosing. I'm choosing health and longevity. That's what I'm choosing. I can go down the list. If I, if I have to choose between discouragement and depression or joy and life and exhilaration and optimism, I'm going to choose this one. Now ask yourself, which ones are you choosing? It could be the reason 
that you continually find yourself moving in these directions is because the enemy has done his best to obscure, to detour, to hide, maybe even steal your identity. So we're going to fix that these next coming weeks because if we know who we are, oh, we're unstoppable. Let's read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 some passages. I've entitled the first lesson, Nailing Down Your Identity. I, I, I'm just one of those guys that I want to, when I start something, I want to start at the beginning. So we're going to nail down identity. It may be a review. If it is, it'll be a good review. Some of you, this may be the first time you've ever heard this, and you need to really key in. Nailing down your identity, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Listen to these words. Therefore, Paul writes, if anyone is in Christ, everyone say, in Christ. He or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Why not, let's just say, say, I am an ambassador. Don't you just, doesn't, don't you even feel more noble by just saying that? We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And this is, the, this is the clincher. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Oh, my, my. That is a mouthful. Nailing down your identity. Now, I'm not starting with any assumptions, but I want to make sure the foundations are right. So let's be sure we have a, a clear picture, a biblical definition of what identity is. The biblical definition of identity. Now, this is critical because when we speak about identity, hear me now, we're not talking about you just getting a better self-image. There are people who are there are people who are on, as we used to say, the bobsled to hell, feeling really good about themselves. So we're not talking about just getting a better self-image. We're not talking about finding greater self-worth or self-esteem. We're not going to have you shout over and over again, I am somebody. Okay, that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about biblical identity. Listen to this, biblical identity is a revelation. I'm going to come back to this in just a moment. It's when a light bulb comes on in the mind or in the spirit. A light bulb comes on of who you are in Christ Jesus. That's identity. It's not that you just are listening to Tony Robbins. It's not that you just have all the great self-help books on the shelf. It, it has nothing to do with you just feeling better about yourself. It's the understanding of who you are 
in Christ Jesus. It is not information. It is revelation. It is not just listening to what I'm going to say or teach or preach to you and you write it down and you say to yourself, oh, that's great, and you stick it in your Bible. Never to ever have it affect you again. It's the moment in this preaching, teaching moment where a light bulb goes off inside of you that says, I get it. I get it. So, as we're teaching along these weeks, one of two things is going to happen to everyone in the room. Me too. Either you're going to receive a lot of interesting information that you can add to a lot of your other interesting information that you carry, or you can get an epiphany, you can get the light bulb, you can say, ah, I get it now, finally, I wasn't understanding, but I'm getting this now. And here's, here's how it begins. What do you want? Do you want information that probably will not help you, or do you want revelation that will enlighten exactly what it is that God would have? Not only you to do, but what could be done in your life. Your life may well depend on it. Do you understand that even going to heaven depends on that epiphany? There are many, many people, if you were to ask them the question, how do you get to heaven? They would say, well, you need to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's the right answer. It's information that they give, and it's the right answer. But it's never become the revelational answer to them. Oh, there's a major difference. Paul tells us here in 2 Corinthians and in other letters as well that when one receives Christ, it involves a change in identity. Now, the concept behind this change of identity is what we call salvation or what many have called being born again. So in other words, your identity only changes when you've been born again. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you were born naturally... And when you were born naturally and you came into the world, you had an identity. And that identity that you had when you came into the world was that you were a part of a family. You received your family's name. Uh, some of it is related to your identity to genetics. You might have had your dad's nose, your mom's lips. You know, it's interesting to me whenever babies are born, and I've been to the hospital, I don't know, hundreds of times to see hundreds of newborn babies, and all the women are gathered around the newborn baby, and they're all looking at this newborn baby, and they're saying, oh, look at their little lips. It looks like your lips, and it looks like, oh, yeah, 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 that looks like his nose, and that's his hair. Can you see his hair? And whose eyes does he have? And they're all going, and they're just going on and on, and they can see these things. And me, I'm just going, it looks like a raisin that has hair on the top. That's, you see, I don't see that. But that's, you see, everybody goes straight to identity. What's their identity? When you're born, you get an identity. It's no different when you're born again. You get an identity. Paul said here that there was a transfer. Jesus, listen to this, is cool. Jesus actually becomes Sin. It didn't say that he was an example of sin. It didn't say that he illustrated sin. It said he became sin. Literally on the cross, he became sin. That's why Isaiah would prophesy that we would have no desire to look upon him. Because literally, this is just my opinion, is that he became sin. He became that which God abhorred. That's why everything went dark that night. That's why God turned his head. A holy God has to turn his head when it comes to sin. Jesus became sin. In order that we might become the righteousness 
of God. Now, just as he became sin, we become righteous. Just as there is a reality to that moment on the cross where his ident- he took upon our identity as sinners, we begin to take upon his identity as the righteous one. Are you following me? I'm going to get back to this. This is important stuff that you don't hear much. You become, at this moment, here as holy. Now, I'm not saying there, there's a whole concept of sanctification, but I'm telling you that as far as declaration goes, you become as holy at that moment as he is holy. All of this happens. This is what's cool. When you're born again, this happens like that. In a split instant. When you're born again. And one reason people who call themselves Christians have trouble or frustrations accessing God's promise is because of the identity issues. They've not been nailed down. They've been hijacked. The Bible or God's word is true no matter what, but it activates for those whose identity has been secured. In other words, see, we've got, it's just like in America. We have everybody in America who quote scripture. I mean, I, I, through the years, I've hung out with a lot of politicians, for better or worse. And, 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 and I had one particular politician who, if I said his name, you would know him instantly. And uh, we had a long conversation about his life and what had gone on in his life and a lot of the things that he did that, that weren't honoring God in his life. And he would come and, and he could quote, he could quote scripture. It was the most remarkable thing to watch him quote scripture the way he did. Remarkable. But hear me when I say this. He, he understood the words, the words were information to him, but they never became revelation to him. They never, were, they never were quickened. That's the old King James word. They were never enlivened. They never came alive in his heart. It was just information which he spouted off. He was just, this is what it was in God's ears. Wah, 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 wah. Because you see, his identity had never been secured in Christ. He was never born again. There are a lot of non-born again people who know God's word. Just like I can quote some passages out of the Quran, that doesn't make me Muslim. Or out of the Book of Mormon, and that doesn't make me a Latter-day Saint. Are you following me? Just because you can quote a few passages out of the Bible doesn't, doesn't mean necessarily that you're a Christian. Now, there are three foundations that must be restored to secure identity. Again, this is just, I'm just, this is gospel 101. Three foundations that must be restored to secure identity. Uh, Hang on, I might have got, no, I I went too fast, didn't I? Let me go back to the four concepts. Did I go too fast? Sorry. I got ahead of myself. I'm here. Four concepts that Paul writes in the text. All right. Four concepts. Number one is this, in Christ or adoption. Is that there? This is, this is the first concept you've got to get a hold of. In Christ. In other words, when one is born again, you are adopted into a family. All of us start life as an orphan. We may not have earthly family, uh, but the fact of the matter is that we are orphaned spiritually when we are born into this world. We are not spiritually whole. So when you're born again, the Lord adopts you 
into his family with all the legal rights that exist in the family of God. If you've never been to an adoption process or in an adoption service, when the judge finally slaps the gavel down and gives the natural child who was not born in your household to you as an adopted child, when the judge drops the gavel and he hands that child over to those new adopted parents, he looks at the parents and he says these words, everything that you have as a family is now transferred to this child. Whether or not they came, he came or she came from you naturally, it is all theirs. Nothing, there's nothing distinguished. It's as if they've always been yours. And that's exactly what happens when we're born again. We are adopted and we are now in Christ. Okay? Number two is new creation. When you're born again, you become a new creation. In fact, that's what he says here. He says he's a new creature. Fancy word is regeneration. You're no longer the same person. But the Bible teaches us that when one is born again, that there's actually a, a heart thing that happens here. Your heart changes somehow or another. You're transformed literally into another being. And when we use the word Christian, what the word Christian means literally is that you're a little Christ. In other words, there's something of the divine nature when one is born again that enters into the heart of a human being. We're not exactly like God, but we begin to carry His nature inside of us. We are a new creature in Christ. We are literally a little Christ, something that has never existed before. The third thing he says in this whole identity issue is that the old is gone and that all becomes new. Fancy word here is justification. So we've talked about adoption, regeneration, and now we're at justification. In other words, when you're born again, it doesn't matter whether you're born again early in life or late in life. Here's the good news. It's as if the Holy Spirit comes and on the blackboard of your life, he erases it all and he says, you get to start all over. You are now justified. We were taught in Sunday school, it was, it was like saying, just as if I've never sinned. Isn't that a good feeling? Justification is, is what gives you the clean feeling. It gives you that feeling that I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, who I was. I, 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 I can start over. I don't have to carry the burdens of regrets and all those sorts of things. You have standing now. You have, you have new references. You are made whole. You are right before God. And then finally, the fourth thing Paul said in our text was this, and that is he became sin so that you might become righteous. And that's the word substitution. So there was adoption. Everyone say adoption now. Adoption. Say regeneration. Justification. And now substitution. In other words, Jesus became the substitute and he died so that you might not have to die as payment for the sin debt. Literally a transfer. He takes on your sin and dies for it. That you might take on his righteousness so that you can live eternally. Are you following me? You become as holy as him. And again, 
This is one of the reasons we don't understand salvation. We have people, we give invitations, and I have frust- I've been frustrated for years with this. We give invitations to people to come and receive Christ, and they'll come, and they'll stand, and they'll say the words, and they'll pray the prayer, and all that's good, and it's needful, and it's necessary, but there's some gap in there. There's something that doesn't hit all the time. And it's, it's this understanding that there's been an identity switch that's taking place right now. The weightiness of all of your sin, all of the guilt, all of the weight, all of the things that you bring in, all of the dysfunction, all of it, the trauma, all of it, all of the failure, all of the not living up, all of it, all of it. I mean, some of us carry more of it than others, but imagine all of it that exists there. You get to come over and Jesus says, I'll take every single bit of it, but you got to give me every bit of it, but I'll take it all. And he says, and talk about a good deal. I'll give you now everything there is of me. I'll put a piece of me inside of you. You'll become a partaker of the divine nature. You're not going to be on your own anymore. I'm going to live inside of you. And I'm going to live big inside of you because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I'm going to live inside of you so big that I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you ability. There's nothing that's going to come across your path. No sin so big that I won't be there to help you get through it. Is that not a good deal? Is that not good news? See, this is why we call it good news. And so you're adopted. You're regenerated. You're justified out of this substitution that has taken place. And you become, at that moment, part of a new family tree. Because your identity has changed. You are a creature that is no longer uh, like he was. It has never existed before. That's the literal Greek. So when Kevin Baird, in February of 1978, I was 18 years old. I had lived hard for the enemy. I, let me tell you, you wouldn't have wanted to have known me in those days. I mean, I was, I was just bad news. I, could, I did everything imaginable that we would define as sin. I sinned before the Lord. But there was a moment, and I've testified to this before, there was a moment, even though I grew up in church, I went to church almost every Sunday with my parents. I sat under preaching. I went to Sunday school. I was confirmed. I took communion. I was an acolyte. I was all of these things. But I was dead in my trespass and sin. And suddenly, the information became revelation. And it woke me up. And suddenly, all of that I just explained to you took place, and I became a new creature. And that 18-year-old that I wouldn't want you to know now is gone. And a new guy suddenly showed up. Perfect guy? No, still not perfect. (laughs) That's the one who knows. But a different guy showed up. Now, here's the part that I tried to get to too quickly. The three foundations that must be restored to secure this identity now listen these we're wading through this is gospel 101 but listen to me three foundations number one is this we've got this is hard in some ways it seems uncaring in other ways but it's gospel hear me number one is not everyone is in christ Just because 
you've gone to church, uh, you're a South Carolinian, and you have some information under your belt, doesn't make you in Christ. We are not, the reason we are not universalists is because the Bible is not universalistic. Just because you go to church, you can use the God talk, we do the motions of worship, does not make you in Christ. Listen, I can sleep in a garage. I can make car sounds. How many of you know I'm not a car? It's like you're going, that's stupid. It's as stupid as just because you can read a couple passages and then think you're in Christ. Are you following me? See, we live in an era because we've been culturally in America Christian for so long and we use so much God talk, we just think everybody's Christian. Whoa, 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 time out. I'm not being hard. I'm not saying we don't love everybody. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying that you, you, don't, you don't get to be in the family just because you say things maybe the family says. In Christ, in Christ. See, this is the thing. I listened, again, I, I don't take my cue off politicians. Our, our, our problem in the day we live in is that the media is so powerful that most of the people who get to affect the culture are either in government because they're constantly being interviewed and it seems like everybody's just zeroed in on that thing, or celebrities, Hollywood. How many of you know both of these arenas are crumbling before our very eyes? See, the kingdoms of this world are crumbling right now. But they're the ones, unfortunately, through the years, have defined some things. And I have listened, I've listened to talk media people say this, both conservative and liberal. I've heard talk media people say this, and this is what they'll say. They'll say these words. Well, you know, we're all children of God. No, we're not. No, God loves us, and we're all created and born with his image in us, but wait, we're not all children of God. You say, how do, well, why would you say that? It's because the Bible says that. The Bible says clearly in Ephesians 2, 3 and 1 John 3, 10, to name two of about 10 sources, that before we're born again or before we're in Christ, the scripture says you and I, all of us, are children of wrath or we're children, the Bible says this, of the devil. Now, doesn't that change everything because you say this out loud and people go you're kidding i don't believe that i believe we're all children of god will you believe what you want but that's not what the scripture says the scripture says that the only people who are children of god are those who are in christ now i'm going to just read to you because this is really interesting in fact i'm only going to go to one of them but go to first john real quick can we do this can we do a little bible study real quick this is just one of about 10 i could read to you first john 3 listen to this first john 3 says beginning with verse one it says behold what manner of love the father has bestowed on us he's talking to the church that we should be called the children of god therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him beloved now we are children of god and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be but we know that when he is revealed we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and everyone who hath this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now drop down, uh, let's just say to, uh, uh, oh, let's say verse 8. We'll start there in that same chapter. It says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. 
For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not, and I need to insert because the Greek allows this insertion, and I mean this seriously, does not practice sin. It doesn't mean you won't ever sin. It just means you're not going to practice sin. Because if you practice sin, what that says is, is that you're not in the family. It's one thing to stumble into sin, but it's another thing to calendar your sin. I've had people do this all the time. They'll say to me, oh, man, it was a temp- the moment was, it was tempt- it was, I was tempted and I fell into it. And, and, and indeed, that may have happened. You may have been tempted. You may have fell in it. But that's different than maybe just not being prepared, falling into it. It's different than your calendaring every Friday to have your liaison. Are you following me? There's something that hadn't clicked inside. That's what he's saying here. Practice, the practice of sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin or cannot practice sin because he's been born of God. Now, verse 10. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. I'll stop there. You see, not everyone is in Christ. And this is the part we have to wrestle with when it comes to identity, all right? It's identity rests in the family. Identity rests when you're a child of God. Identity comes when you are in Christ. This is Gospel 101, all right? Number two is this. Information is not revelation. I've already tapped on this. Information is not revelation. You can know the story but has the story invaded your life? It's the light bulb. It's the aha moment. It's more than the statement of Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Yes, that statement and confession is made from everybody who's in the family, but this is a heart reality that doesn't go away. That's identity. It's identity. My eyes have been opened. The blinders are off. I'm just not parroting things that I've heard through the years. It's mine. It's not Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. It's not just Jesus is Savior. Jesus is my Savior. There's something in here that has changed from the abstract just knowledge into the incredibly personal revelation. I am nothing without Him. That's gospel. That's why Jesus... Jesus entered, it was he didn't enter just so he could be a just great teacher. He came in to redeem and to save that which was lost. And then number three I put out here was this, and that is experiencing a defined moment. Let's make an assumption, and, I, I'm, and I'm using this as by way of illustration. I have no idea... As I'm sharing this, I'm just making sure everything's, everybody's on same level as we go forward learning about the great promises in identity because we're going to begin to hit some promises that are phenomenal, but those promises will never work for you if you're not in Christ. Are you following me? They'll never work for you. So we've got to make sure you're in Christ. I know everybody in this room, let's just say everybody in this room has made a confession of faith. Hear me when I say this. There are so many different ways to experience the Lord that I can't, I, you can't make one size fits all. 
I, I, I often tell the story of Wesley, John Wesley. You know, John Wesley preached the gospel for years in Georgia, and he would claim later in life that he wasn't even saved, and he was preaching the gospel to the Indians. In fact, he was such a failure and got into such a mess in Georgia that when he jumped on a ship and he sailed back to England, his statement in his journal was, I came to save the Indians, but who will save me? And he met the Moravian missionary by the name of Peter Bolaire, and, and Peter Bolaire on that ship said to Wesley, he, he said, listen, you've got to preach faith till you get it. What he was basically saying was, is that you've got to keep pursuing God till this becomes a reality. And so on... May 24, 1738, at 8.45 in the evening, he was going to his brother Charles's Bible study on Aldersgate Street, and he's walking down Aldersgate Street, and there was a window open on the street, and he heard, of all things, Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans being read out that window. Remember, there was no 500-channel dish TV in those days. So people read things like Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. But he's walking down Aldersgate Street and he hears that being read out the window. And he will write in his journal and testify later. He said, it is at that moment that my heart was strangely warmed. And it was at that moment he would realize later, he said, it was then that I knew that I, I needed Jesus as my Savior. And his whole life and ministry changed after that. C.S. Lewis, the prolific Christian writer tells his conversion experience happened where he knew everything there was to know about the gospel, hadn't really made a decision with regards to Jesus, but he knew the story. He, could, he, he knew the story better than a lot of Christians know the story. He just tells the account that one day he got into the sidecar of his brother's motorcycle and they drove across town and he said that when he started that motorcycle ride, he wasn't a Christian, but when he got to the other side, he was. Always made me wonder what kind of a motorcycle ride that was. So there, I could give you story after story of people. We could take your story out of this congregation, and you would tell me your story, and it would be unique. It would be yours. It would be different. But one thing I believe matches in everyone's story is that there is a moment. It's like in an adoption proceeding. You can be going through all the adoption proceedings, but there's a moment the judge slaps the gavel and says to the child, you're now in that family. A defined moment. A birth. Come on, you ladies know this. There's, there's a moment in birth that the baby is in the tummy, and then there's the next moment when the baby's outside the tummy. Say what you want. I know it's a baby, but there's a moment, a defined moment when that baby is born. Here's the question when it comes to being in Christ. Do you have that defined moment when you passed from death unto life? Paul said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. There's a moment. Everybody's moment's different. Your moment isn't going to be, if I told you my moment, you'd go, wow, that was quite a moment. I might hear your moment and I might say, wow, that was quite a moment. Our moments may be totally different. Some of your moments will be soft and gentle. Some of the moments will be dramatic and crazy. There'll be all kinds of moments we can talk about, but I'm not, I'm not wanting to hear all the different aspects or adjectives of the moment. I'm just asking, is there a moment? Is there a moment when you, when you took information and said, Lord, lighten it up that it might become revelation? 
So this is the gospel. And this is how identity is established. Listen to me. This is 101 and I'm just about done. This is the gospel. Let there be no ambiguity. I do not have the gift of ambiguity. Hear me. This is the gospel. All of us, everyone, nobody's exempt, is born away from God. All of us are. That's what the Bible says. We're born into sin. Thank Adam and Eve for all of that. We are born in sin. Sin and its irreducible residue is selfishness. How do you know what sin is in a baby? It's basically selfishness. And that's what sin is at its, at its basic root level. We can, we can paint sin in a lot of different activity, but the root issue of all that activity is simply selfishness. I want what I want when I want it. If, 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 I'm, if I'm yielding to bondages or addictions, it's I want what I want when I want it. If we're in sexual perversions or deviancies or any of this, I want what I want when I want it. Whatever we're doing that's sin is basically selfishness. I want what I want when I want it. You say, well, babies can't do all that. Yes, they do. When they come out of the womb, they begin screaming, saying, I want when I want when I want it. Change me. And you can't look at a baby and say, well, I, I got to take care of this. The baby doesn't give a flip. Feed me. Well, what did I got to do all this? No, no, the baby's going to cry until you feed it. You're going to tend to me right now because I want what I want when I want it, and that is the nature of sin. And, and it's hard looking at cute little babies and thinking they were born in sin, but we were all cute little babies at one point, and that's how we all came into the earth. Selfish creatures wanting what we want. Do you not think children are selfish? Watch them when they play with other children. That's my toy. No, you can't play with that. They'll have 50 toys around them, and they'll see their friend playing with one toy over here, and they'll go get that one toy and bring it back to their 50. That's sin at work. We just get more refined at it as we age. We're all born that way. But God is, God is absolute holy or selfless. God is righteous. So the question is, how do you connect a people who are unrighteous with a God who is righteous? How do you connect those two? Because God will not stand for unrighteousness, not for a moment. So how do you do this? Well, he provides the solution in Jesus. Remember, I told you he became the substitute. So he sends Jesus into the earth. Jesus becomes the substitute of which he takes upon all your sin and selfishness he takes it upon himself and he carries it in order that you might become the righteousness of god now he does not he does it in a universal way in the sense that all men may come to him but it's not universal in its effect until you receive him and that effect and in the moment you receive that effect it's at that moment that god declares you remember adopted regenerated, justified. He brings you into the kingdom and you become a child of God at that moment. You've now been planted in a new family. You've got a new family tree. You've got, you've got new relatives. All oh, you guys, you're my relatives now. You may not like me, but we're family. We didn't have the same earthly moms and dads, but we have the same father who regenerated our hearts into something new so that our heart now beats together as one because of the gospel we're family and because we're family and because that's our identity all of a sudden i have rights and privileges because i am no longer a child of wrath i'm no longer a child of the devil 
I'm no longer a, I am no longer chained to my selfishness. Now, does that mean I'm never selfish? Oh, I'm quite sure I'm selfish. But here's the difference. I don't practice selfishness. And when I find out that I'm selfish, I don't like it that I'm selfish. I don't want that. I want, I want to carry the family name well. I want to be that ambassador. But I have now privileges. And we're going to be preaching privileges now from this point forward. But hear me when I say this. That privilege will mean nothing to you unless you are in Christ. Are you following me? In Christ. Stand with me, will you?